It was a quiet night like any other. All of the guys had gone to bed. It was, it was late. Everyone had to get up and work the next morning. And she sat there in her room. She allowed the cool breeze to come in through her window. And she smelled that cool evening air. And as she sat there, she dreamed about what it will be like when she's one day married. And what that's going to mean. What that's going to change in her life. And in that quiet, in that stillness of that night as the cool breeze came through her window, suddenly a man appeared in her room. She didn't know what to think. What would anyone think as a strange person stood before them? So inside she felt confusion and fear. What does this mean? What is his purpose? What is his intention? And in that moment, he spoke to her. And it did not clear the confusion. He called her highly favored. What does that mean? What does that even convey to her? Why does he use the words highly favored? What is going on? And as the cool breeze went through that window, that man explained what he had come to tell her. He came to give her a message of amazing, great hope that the one that's been promised for hundreds of years was going to come. And he was going to come through her. And it brought hope to her life. You see, the man explained that this baby that was to come was going to change the world. Yet in that moment, the message simply changed her. And in that moment, in the confusion and the fear, she was changed. And she understood that she had a purpose. She had a mission. And it altered everything about who she was. Today we're continuing in our new series about the life of Jesus. And so I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible or an app with you, uh, we've got Bibles in the back of the pews. Feel free to grab one of those. If you're not familiar where Luke is located, because there are a lot of books in this, uh, basic easiest way to find it is go to the table of contents you're going to look for a section called the new testament it is the third book in the new testament so it's matthew mark luke and then the book after that is john to kind of give you context of where that's at so we're going to be looking at luke chapter one today now we're going to be discussing the announcement to mary the mother of jesus about her coming child and so that's what the, the section of Luke that we're looking at today addresses. Now let me give you a little glimpse of what is happening in the verses before where we're going to start. We're going to start in verse 26. Now the verses 25 and prior have another story of an angel visit where an angel comes to a man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And that angel predicts the coming of a different baby altogether, John the Baptist. 
That's for another message. We'll come to that uh, at a later uh, Sunday. But I want you to notice that in Luke chapter 1, there are two visitations from an angel. And both of those visitations have to do with the prediction of a coming child. Two coming children that are going to change the world. So look with me now at Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 26. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And it says this. In the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled and saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end." Now, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story dozens of times. At least every Christmas, you've heard this account. And I think that there's an advantage to those that haven't heard this story very often. Because if you grew up in church and you've heard this story over and over, we've lost the amazement of this account, the miraculous story. So think about this for a minute. Mary is literally sitting in her house. It's evening time. Uh, It's quiet. This is a town called Nazareth. It's it's a tiny little uh, podunk village. There's nothing important about it. And she's sitting in a room and suddenly a man appears. Now stop for just a second and think about that for a moment. If that happened to you, what would you do? If you were in your bedroom one evening and suddenly some strange guy appeared, what would you do? Punch him in the face. That's a pretty good response. In Arizona, it's punch him in the face or pull a gun, right? Because we live in Arizona. But, but the idea that suddenly this man appeared out of nowhere is shocking. It's no wonder that the Bible tells us that Mary responded with confusion and fear. She was troubled, and she tried to discern what he meant. Now, let me get into some details, uh, because if if you've been around for a little while, you know that I like to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of some of the things that are addressed here. If you were here last week, we opened up uh, this new series, and I explained how the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all biographies of Jesus, but they're all told from different perspectives and they're given to different audiences. So you may remember, if you were here last week, that Luke, which we're in today, Luke was written by a non-Jew to non-Jewish people. Basically people that didn't have a whole lot of familiarity with the Old Testament or with the land of Israel or the promises given uh, in Genesis to Abraham and his children. People that didn't have a background in knowing that information, that's who Luke is writing to today. And so Luke 
intentionally says some things that points that out. So look with me again at verse 26, for example. It says, in the sixth month. Now, just a quick reference there. The sixth month means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So just go back to uh, the previous verses and you can read about that. But in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, why does Luke go into such detail about where Nazareth is located? Matthew mentions Nazareth and doesn't say anything about where it's located. Well, Matthew was writing to Jewish people who knew exactly about Nazareth. As a matter of fact, Nazareth among Jewish people had a bad rap. It had a bad reputation. If you go into John chapter 1 verse 46, this man named Nathaniel is approached by Jesus. But before he's approached, one of his relatives says, hey, we found the Messiah and he came from this city in, uh, called Nazareth. And Nathaniel goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth had this rough reputation. It was a dirty, nasty city. It was not a place of good reputation. And so Luke uh, makes a point to show us where Nazareth is at because Luke is writing to people who have no, uh, no familiarity, no, uh, no accustomed to knowing where things are at in the, in the land of Israel. Now a Gentile, a, a non-Jew, may have been uh, aware of where Galilee, the region, was. But they wouldn't have been aware of the city. So, he goes in and explains about Nazareth. Now, here's an interesting, interesting thing about Nazareth. When Matthew talks about Nazareth, in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew makes note that Nazareth is the place that the prophets foretold that the Messiah would come from. But here's the thing. There is no Old Testament passage that says anything about Nazareth being the city that the Messiah will come from. So is Matthew lying to us? Is he ignorant? Is he some kind of moron that doesn't realize what he's even saying? No. Actually, Matthew makes note of that because he's, Matthew was writing to Jewish people who were familiar with the area of Israel and also were familiar with the Hebrew language. And so very quickly, Nazareth is based off of a Hebrew word called Natser. And Natser means uh, a shoot, like a branch off of something. And it's used over and over and over in the book of Isaiah, which is uh, Isaiah is filled with prophecies about the coming Messiah. The most obvious one is Isaiah 11, verse 1. In Isaiah 11, verse 1, it mentions that the Messiah will be a shoot from the branch of Jesse, who is David's father. Now, the Israelites back in this day and time had taken those passages in Isaiah that mentioned this Natser, and they had taken some beliefs about what had been passed down from other Old Testament prophets, put the puzzle pieces together, and they determined and told that the Messiah would be coming from the city of Nazareth. You would only know that, though, if you were a Hebrew, if you were a Jewish person. That's why Matthew mentions that, but Luke does not, because Luke's not writing to Jewish people. So, chase the rabbit, we're done with that. Coming back here now, I want to talk about Mary's reaction to what she's just been told. So look with me again. Look down at verse 27 now. So, again, it's talking about Gabriel sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, let me give you a little quick background on betrothment. 
Betrothment was the system that they used in, Jew, in this day and time for engagement. Now, in today's time, we basically date someone and we get a ring and we propose and we get engaged and we get married. But back in this day and time, they went through a process called betrothment. So typically what would happen is a young man would go to his dad and say, hey, there's this really good-looking girl down the street. Go talk to her parents. I'd like to marry her. Make the arrangements. And so his dad would go to her family. They would write out a contract and exchange some kind of goods. Maybe it was sheep. Maybe it was actual money. Maybe it was some portion of a crop, whatever it may be. And they exchanged those goods in, uh, in that contract to solidify it. Betrothment was basically marriage without the intimacy, okay? And so they were basically, Mary and Joseph, were basically married. The only way you could get out of being betrothed was to either die or get a divorce. Those were the only ways. So I I want you to see here, though, that Mary and Joseph are in, outside of marriage itself, they are in the most committed, serious relationship that existed in this day and time. So... She's betrothed to Joseph. And look at verse 28. And Gabriel came to her saying, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And look at what she said and what happens here with that. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Let me just put it out there. Today I want to talk about God's calling in your life. God made a crazy call to Mary in her life in this moment. He did so in a very miraculous way. He did so in a shocking way, in a scary way. But he made a very clear call to Mary in this moment in her life. And what was her response? She was confused. It says she's trying to figure out what the saying meant, what that greeting meant. And she was scared. She was terrified. Let me make something clear. God may be calling you to do something, and it's okay if you're confused or scared about it. Sometimes God's call is really, really big, and it's life-changing, and it's going to alter everything about what we do, and sometimes God's call is subtle, and it's simple, and sometimes the big call and even the subtle little call can be scary in our life. Maybe God's calling you to move and go somewhere completely different. Maybe God's calling you to something as subtle and small as changing the way you think about something or someone. Whatever that call, please understand, it's okay to hear that call from the Lord and have a little bit of confusion or a little bit of fear about it. That's natural. God knows we're going to respond in that way. But Mary responds by saying, what am I supposed to do with this? But look at what Gabriel says in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You see, here's the thing. When God calls you to something, he's always going to provide the means to make that calling happen. He's always going to give you a way or the resources to fulfill that calling in your life. He's always going to do that. He did so with Mary. He took care of her. He provided for her. But here's the thing. When we follow Jesus, we can't stand still. 
When we follow Jesus, we're always supposed to be moving forward in our relationship. As a matter of fact, one of our values here at First Southern is grow. Uh, and if you ha- have read our, our values and what they mean, there's a tagline to all of our values. The first words of the tagline to grow is this, growth means change. When you're following Christ, he is going to call you to change. You cannot follow Christ and stay where you're at. He's always going to push you to be more like him. And sometimes that means that we have to radically change where we're at, what we're doing, or maybe even who we are mentally and emotionally. We're always called to grow. So, Jesus gives the assurance to follow him. And he, he gives her that comfort. Now look with me uh, in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. You see, the angel came and told Mary that she was going to have a son. Now remember, she's a virgin. She's not married in a society back in biblical times. This was not a joyous message in a lot of ways. This was a message of guaranteed persecution. This was not going to be an easy road. And if you go and read uh, what happens with Joseph, we find out that Joseph actually considered divorcing her because she was pregnant. But if you go and read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, the angel tells Joseph this in a dream. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which she has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here's the thing. Jesus was given a mission before he was ever born. Jesus has this mission for his life. And the cool thing here is, in Joseph's instance, the angel very clearly in this dream gives a definition to the mission. He says, for he will save his people from their sins. He doesn't give that definition to Mary, though. Mary didn't need it. Because the name Jesus is actually a word that's been kind of molded and shaped by different languages over several hundred years, the name in the original language that this was written in is actually Yeshua. And Yeshua, basically Joshua is how we would translate it into English, Joshua literally means God saves. It is the combining of the Hebrew word Yasha, which means saves, and the ending, Yua, which was a reference to God's name, Yahweh. So anytime, just FYI, anytime in the Bible you see a word, uh, a name that ends in L or Yua or A-H-A, that's always, that name always has a reference to God in some way, shape, or form. So Joshua literally means God saves. So when the angel tells Mary, you're going to call him Jesus, she instantly knew what the mission of Jesus was. And what's that mission? To save all mankind. Now here's the thing. In church, we talk about being saved all the time. But what are we being saved from? If you haven't grown up in church or you're not familiar with Christianity, what are we being saved from? 
It's not like any one of us right now in this moment need to be saved because someone has a gun to our head or we're drowning or or something like that. None of our lives are at risk in this exact moment right now. We don't need to be physically saved from anything. So what does it mean when we say Jesus saves? It simply means this. Every single person who has ever lived on this planet except for Jesus himself, every person has committed sin. Now sin is this. Sin is us breaking God's law. So if we kind of put it in context, we are all criminals because we are all sinners. And we need to be saved from the consequences of our sins. Now the consequences of our sins is death. And here's the thing. Jesus came He was the Son of God, is the Son of God. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And at the end of his life, he was falsely accused. And he died on a cross and shed his blood for us. What that does, what his shedding of blood did for us, is it saved us from the consequences of our sins. It saves us from eternal death. If we took a courtroom scene in heaven... And God laid out all of our crimes, all of our sins that we did against Him. All the ways we've broken His perfect law. And and He rolled that out. It's Jesus coming in and saying, Judge, hold on a second. I already paid the punishment for that person right there. They're innocent now. They can go. And so when we talk about in church about being saved, that simply means that we are saved from the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sins, of our breaking God's law. That's what we're saved from. So when the angel looked at Mary and says, you will call him God saves, Mary knew exactly what he was saying. She knew exactly what he was telling her Jesus' mission was going to be. So if you don't know Jesus, you can be saved from the consequences of sin. You can be saved. You can find that life-changing hope And it's only found in Jesus. You see, Jesus died that death on that cross and shed his blood and paid the price for you. But then the good news is is that on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He literally defeated sin and death. And then he rose and ascended and he is in heaven with God the Father sitting at the right hand. And the Bible talks about how every name or every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. It is only through Jesus that we can have that saving from the consequences of our sins. And if you don't know Jesus today, please hear me. I would love to talk to you. If you've got questions, if you're confused about that, maybe you're like Mary. Maybe you're confused and a little fearful of it. I would love to explain it and talk to you about that because our mission is to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. And so if you've got questions about that, come grab me after service or contact me this week. I would love that opportunity. If you do know Jesus, you are literally the lifeline to the people who don't know Jesus around you. There are people around you who do not know Him. And as a consequence, they will pay the price for the sins of this world unless someone comes into their life and begins to show them the life-changing hope of Jesus. Begins to show them what Jesus did for them and how He died for them. 
So here's my question to you, Christian, follower of Jesus. Who is it in your life that you need to start having conversations with? Who is it in your life that you need to be the example of what life-changing hope through Jesus looks like? Who is it in your life that maybe you need to invite to church so that they can hear about Jesus and what he's done for them? Who is that person? Now, I think one of the questions we have to ask is how can Jesus do that? How can he pay that price for us? Well, look at verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Guys, that last statement right there in verse 33 from the angel is a statement of authority. Jesus alone has the authority, has the right to be able to pay that price for us. And he loved every single one of us so much that he was willing to pay the price. So, Jesus saves is the mission that God gave him. And it's the mission that he has in each one of our lives. Now, I want us to notice, though, the very last interchange between this. Look at verse 38. So, Mary asks the angel a question. The angel gives her a response. And then look at what Mary says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was willing, knowing that what the angel had asked her to do, she knew that that was going to probably create some very difficult situations in her life. She willingly said yes. My question for you this morning is what will your response be? What will your response to God's call in your life be? Will you let fear and confusion get in the way of what God's asking you to do? Or like Mary, will you have that courage and that faith in Jesus to simply say, yes, I'm your servant. I'll do exactly as you've asked. Guys, hear me on this. God is always calling us to something. He's always calling us to grow in some way, to change in some way. God is always leading us somewhere. Will you say yes to his leading? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he loved us so much that he came and died for us so that we would not have to pay that price. Lord, we pray today that in light of what we see from the story of Mary, we pray that you would give us the courage that she had. That despite the confusion, despite the fear, that she was willing to say yes and follow you. So Lord, give us that courage so that we can follow you wherever you lead. We thank you, Lord. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our loving Savior. Amen.